0: What really got me interested in multifamily was the the power in it. When you see that hey, I can actually take this building and I could fix it up and increase its value uh, significantly very fast without having to, say, wait for necessarily the, the comparables to go up, I thought, wow, this is a really, uh, really powerful vehicle for investing. And I thought I could be successful, um, kind of understood it. And I thought it really fit me very well. I thought the scale of it, I really liked the scale instead of multi, uh, single family. I just didn't feel like it had the scale that I that I really wanted to I really wanted to get to. And um, so those are the attraction points for multifamily. And that's really why I kind of jumped in. Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Lee.
1: Welcome to another episode of Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Powell Shi. Welcome, Powell.
0: Hi there, welcome.
1: I am so excited to have you. Uh, we connected a little bit ago after a virtual um, summit that, uh, at the Rod Cliffs event, and I am really excited to tell you about him. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Uh, in, from 2015 to 2018, he purchased over 100 units in Indianapolis, Kansas City, and Memphis. In 2019, he formed a company with his business partner, And they work on their first property together, a 2008-unit multifamily property in Dallas, Texas. The same year, they work with other syndication groups on a total of 756 units in Jacksonville, Atlanta, Phoenix, and San Antonio. He is a general partner and asset manager in all of these deals. Altogether, in 2019, he partnered on 900 plus units spread out throughout five apartment communities. He leads multifamily masters, which may be the fastest growing multifamily meetup in the world. In just two years, they have grown from one single location in Los Angeles to currently almost 60. Locations including Hong Kong and Dubai. He holds two master's degrees and as an awarding winning self-executive, he achieved the top honor of President's Circle Award winner for a fortune 500 company wow so impressive Powell (laughs) I
0: appreciate that thank you
1: tell us uh, how did you get into real estate
0: sure you know um, I can start off by saying that um, I started in 2015 really getting into real estate when I really started to dive in and wanted to be an owner right and uh, really wanted to get involved in real estate. And that was really in the single family realm. But it really kind of about a year later. So it was the end of 2015. It was the very beginning of 2017 where I bought my first multifamily. So I transitioned from single family very quickly. I only had uh, one or two units of uh, one or two properties. And then I went into multifamily 2017 full go. And that's been my, that's been my uh, focus ever since then.
1: But what it's what sparked your interest in multifamily? Because you were doing really good on your sales executive job. Mm-hmm. So how did you well, re- decide to to jump into multifamily?
0: Well, I will tell you also, I, I still do have my, my day job, my day job. So I'm still working as a W-2. And um and, and just want to know that people can do it. You know, you don't have to jump in and just and quit your day job. And actually I probably suggest that you don't if you if you have that ability. Um and so what really got me interested in multifamily was the the power in it. When you see that I I can actually take this building and I could fix it up and increase its value uh significantly very fast without having to say wait for necessarily the, the comparables to go up, I thought, wow, this is a really uh, really powerful vehicle for investing. And I thought I could be successful. Um, kind of understood it, and I thought it really fit me very well. I thought the scale of it, I really liked the scale. Instead of multi, uh, single family, I just didn't feel like it had the scale that I that I really wanted to, I really wanted to get to. And um, so those are the attraction points for multifamily, and that's really why I kind of jumped in.
1: Awesome. And you are so right. Like I still have my W2, W2 mm-hmm. job as an architect. So you, if mm-hmm. you put the the effort and if you're focused, you can, you can do it and you don't Mm -hmm. have to start with multifamily. You can start like you started with single family until you feel comfortable and then you can go, um, and get bigger stuff. I started, I was lucky that I started with duplexes. So I I had Mm -hmm. that kind of like multifamily Mm -hmm. idea. So it was kind of like an easy transition to, to, to try to get the bigger ones.
0: Yeah. Um, And the most important thing is really to get started, whether you get started in, you know, single family or multifamily or, or whatever it is that you just go ahead and get started and you know your path will change a little bit and you know i think we all start somewhere and then our paths change down the line a a year or two into it you start to veer off to something else and and that's kind of what i did but really the important step is to really get started
1: absolutely i totally agree you just need to start and you don't have to start with the big stuff you can start with one small step and when you compound those little steps, then you're going to get somewhere. So don't worry about it and just do find one thing that you want to do and then go with it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. The deal.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, all right. So what deal are we going to talk about today?
0: Yeah. So I'd like, I'd like to talk about is my very first multifamily uh, deal. Um, this is a property that I have in Indianapolis. Um, it's a 40 unit building. So, uh, 40 units.
1: Unit building in Indianapolis. What class was this building?
0: I would say it is the building is probably a C class. Uh, well it, the building itself is, yeah, probably a C class in probably a C neighborhood. Um, C maybe even C minus neighborhood. Um, anywhere from that C to C minus, I would say That's probably where it is and, right now. And you
1: did this deal by yourself, right?
0: I did this by myself. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And so I live in Los Angeles um, and I still lived in Los Angeles at the time when I bought it. So that was a major hurdle for me to, uh, to start thinking about buying an apartment building somewhere else far across the United States, right? I mean, this is two thirds across the United States. So we're talking 2000 miles away. Um, that was a big hurdle. Um, just in sort of mindset and believing that you can do that and that's possible. And honestly, it was from hearing other people on podcasts that they were doing it, and I thought, wow, um, if they can do it, I'm just as smart or just as dumb as the next person. So I mean, let, let me, you know, I could get, I could do it too. And so really, the reason I did it by myself is that I thought I don't want to. Um, I know this is it's, it is not something proven. So let me do this. And if it's, if I lose money on this deal, it's, it's going to be my money. It's going to be my mistake. I, I'm not going to, um, you know, ask anybody else to, to join me in sort of like my mistake early on. So I, that's why I said, I'll, I'll just do it by myself. If it, uh, if it goes well, great. I, I could look at, at doing the next one with the people, but let me do this first one by myself. Cause I need to really prove it to myself that I can do it. And then, before I prove it to other people that I can do it
1: absolutely and you touch on something very important which is the mindset and mm-hmm. I share that with you you know when I see somebody doing something that I want to do and I'm like you know if they can do it I can do it like there's no reason why I couldn't do it if I, I, I see somebody else doing it For so sure. you have to like change your mindset instead of I can't do it to how can I do it
0: and absolutely absolutely it. All right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's plenty of plenty of models of people doing things, and and you know, you don't have to be the trailblazer. You don't have to be the first one to do it. You can just kind of follow the path. You don't have to reinvent the wheel, right? I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It's it's plenty of people have done it before me, and plenty of people have put it after me. So, um, yeah.
1: All right. So, how did you find the deal?
0: So. Um, What I did first was I I was calling a lot of brokers, right? Looking on a lot of online listings, right? So I was going through a lot of listings, talking to a lot of brokers, trying to find the deals, right? And analyzing the deals, right? So what's one of the first things you need to do is you need to be educated enough to analyze these deals. And I don't mean just like cursory analysis. You need to actually be able to put these through some um, very detailed spreadsheets and understand uh, understand those spreadsheets back and forward. And so I was getting as many deals as I could, um, analyzing as many as I could, and just trying to go through them and figure out what was a good deal and 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 if it was a good deal or what I could put an offer in at, right? Because they're not always a good deal than when you get them from a broker, you have to turn them into a good deal sometimes. So for me, that was um, maybe you need to offer it at a different price. Maybe you need to negotiate a little bit and things like that. Um, and so, that's what I, that's what I did is really, that's the way I found it was talking to as many brokers as possible. Eventually I found it on a listing. It was actually listed online, but I think it was like miscategorized because the uh, listing broker was not a multifamily broker was actually a residential broker. So we're talking mostly used to listing on uh, maybe Zillow or something, uh, just like single families, single family places. So they weren't, Used to listing it on a multifamily site, so it was kind of hidden. It was very deep. I had, I actually don't even know the path that I got there. You know, I, I was clicking through a bunch of things, clicking on people's bio, looking on, you know, what else they had, and then clicking on other links. And I don't even actually remember how I got to that listing, but I got a listing and I looked at it and I said, that is something very, very different than what I've seen before. Now I've already analyzed fifty to seventy-five deals or so, so. I already knew in my head, I said when I saw this, I knew that it was very different. And so that's what got me really excited about it.
1: Awesome. And you know, you touched on something that was very important. A lot of people have that fear of talking to to brokers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So how did you get the how did you get to the point where brokers were sending deals to you?
0: So what I tell people is that you need to respect the broker's time, um, right? So when you call them up, you need to um, understand that they are taking some time out to send you some information of something that you may or may not want, but you need to respect their time in that you need to give them an answer back ASAP and tell them like, hey, this this doesn't work for me because I'm looking for something else, you know, why it doesn't work for you, but give them an explanation. A lot of people don't like to give that um, reason that it doesn't work for them because they feel like that offends the broker. But if a, I mean, a broker has hundreds of people they're talking to and several different deals, they're, they're not offended. But if you tell them like, this deal doesn't work for me because I'm looking for something else or it, I would have to offer a price that's a little, you know, significantly lower than what they're off than what they're asking for. It probably doesn't work at this time. They, they don't, that's fine. They don't care. And so you need to go get back to them and tell them why. And then not only just that you're, you're not, um, that you're not going to purchase this or you're not going to offer on it or something like that, but the reasons behind it, and they, you need to be solid reasons, not just like, I don't really like this, this building or something like, like that. You need to be detailed about why, you know, cap rate is this, expenses are this, they're too high or they're too low and there's no way I could, that I could um, you know, do, operate at, at such a level, whatever it is, um, you need to have some explanation of why you're not going to do it and get that back to them like within 24 hours.
1: Answer, answer within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. People remember that. Very
0: important. Absolutely.
1: All right. So how, what was the listing price and what did you end up getting it for?
0: So the listing price was 890,000. So 890,000 was what I saw in the listing price. Um, and again, you're talking 40 unit building, right? 40 units, 890,000. So um, and so there, it wasn't, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like, um, and there, it wasn't, that there weren't anything else like somewhat comparable. There was things that were kind of comparable, but they were a lot older. They were um, like built in 1920, 1930. This was built in 1984. And so for something built in 1984 with such a low price per door entry, that was the initial thing that thought, wow, that's very different. So 890,000, actually purchased it for 820,000.
1: Oh, wow. So how did you negotiate it? What were the points that you negotiated to go down from 890 to 820, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, 820. So I think, um, I think my initial offer was a little closer to like 790, 790, I believe. Um, and I so what I did is, is I ran it through my spreadsheet. I told them exactly, you know, what, um, you know, I... I looked at their expen- income and expenses, right? Now, on this property, they didn't have many of their de- they didn't have many, uh, like, they didn't have their T12. Uh, they were going through a lawsuit. Uh, they're kind of distressed distressed seller, right? Going through a lawsuit with their property manager, so they didn't have any records. Um, they only had the last, like, two months of records and things like that. They uh, they were getting close to foreclosure. Um, they were, you know, getting in trouble with the bank. And so th- they they were kind of in some, hurting right there. They needed to sell. So I knew that they needed to sell. um, Which is the kind of, obviously, the kind of opportunity that you want to, that you want to find. Now, when I ran through my analyzer, I thought, you know, like, um, it would, you know, I figured out what point it would work, what point that I could offer at. um, And and then I just told them, I said, you know, based off of your income expenses, which I can't really project, you can't really even show me the past, you know, six months, you can only show me two months, I can't really, you know, take this for, you know, 100%. So I have, you know, I have to negotiate down, I have, you know, you use those things to your advantage, you know, they were able to give me their tax returns and things like that. But I was like, you know, just based off of your, these income expenses, I'm seeing that uh, the price point is at 890 is a little too high. You know, I, I think that I could probably come in and close this pro- deal really quickly at 790. You know, and then I was like back and forth, you know, back and forth. And, and um but then we, was, we ended up settling at 8, 820.
1: So That is such a good deal. I mean, it was already, well, it, it really depends on the rents, but compared to South Florida, I'm like, ah. Sure.
0: Yeah, I know exactly. You eight hundred
1: thousand in South Florida. <laughs> I,
0: I, I hear you. I hear you. When I live in LA, and I see these, I see these numbers too. I'm like, what? Eight ninety forty units? People are like, what are you talking about? units? Right. Like a
1: but it really depends duplex. on the rents and the income, right? So, what were the rents when you yeah. bought it?
0: The rents were averaging about four hundred and fifty-five dollars, I think. I think this is what I averaged when I looked at the average, I believe it was
1: $455. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. That's a, that's pretty good.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. So how did you how did you fund this deal? You said you wanted to do it alone and you didn't want to risk other people's money. So how did you get uh, the mm-hmm. funding for this deal?
0: Yep. So I did use a bank, um, use the bank to do it. It, it in terms of the down payment and everything that was money that I had. So I I had, um, I liquidated some of my, uh, 401k and things like that, but I basically tried to fund it myself. So savings that I had liquidation of 401k sold a few things. I had a motorcycle, sold the motorcycle, um, just whatever I could really to kind of just say like, look, I, I'm, I'm invested in this. I want to, I want to get this done. And so, um, was able to, you know, was able to get my local, my local bank, which is kind of hard, you know, actually to get to get your personal local bank, when you live in LA, to fund a deal in uh, apartment deal in Indianapolis, uh, doesn't always work out. So um, that, was, that was kind of some steps, some of it being lucky, but some of it being uh, very fortunate to, to get that deal done and, and have that approved. So.
1: Absolutely, I just actually spoke with my, um, my bank they funded one of my deals mm-hmm. here in Florida, but I'm doing some out-of-state investing, and they are like, "Ah, we don't feel comfortable going out of state, so we're gonna have mm-hmm. to find a different bank to to do it out of state." So, it, yeah, it it is hard sometimes to get your bank to to loan you money for for out-of-state investment, especially yeah, a large one.
0: Yeah, that actually very 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 true, um, and you know, in some of the ways. Um, you know, when you do, you're involved in real estate, a lot of times you get lucky, you know, you get this lucky. Right. But I always tell people like, you have to be in that that game in order to get that luck. Right. So in some ways I was lucky in this deal because what happened is, um, my bank, um, my bank was actually the same bank that had the loan on that deal. Right. So they had a branch in Indianapolis and they had the loan on that deal, but they didn't, they didn't source that loan. They actually were, um, Instead, they were, uh, they, they didn't source it, but they, um, they had acquired another bank and they just acquired that loan um, at mortgage as well. So they weren't super happy with it or anything like that, but they did have the history of it. And so I, when I took it over they were like, okay, let's do it because we're about to go into foreclosure with this current owner. And then let's just bring her in, um, you know, somebody else that hopefully is a stronger owner. And yeah, he's, you know, he could kind of, save this mortgage off of our books and kind of thing like that so um so in in some ways i got lucky but you know I, I was able to kind of go through that process and get it funded and and so i was very happy that you know my bank was able to do that
1: awesome so what type of loan did you get
0: uh so it's a recourse loan uh, if that's what you're asking a recourse loan uh, you know most banks are recourse loan um, it was a 25-year amortization, and I think at the time it was a four and a half uh, percent. Uh, I, I believe, no, actually, take that back. It was three and a half. It was three and a half percent. Um, five It was, it was a one-year term, so that was kind of the interesting part, right? So they gave me one year and said, hey, this, you know, it's one year, and I was like, okay, okay. Um, for, for most, most places that's, you know, can be kind of risky, right? It's take like a one year, a one year term, term on it. And they were saying, look, Val, you, you don't have any multifamily properties. This is out of state. We don't know if, you know, how it's going to perform. We just want to make sure that we're safe. So, um, you know, I, I just took it and I said, okay. And they said, if it, you know, if it works out, if you're paying, you know, things are, things are going well, obviously we can just renew it at the next year. So the next year they renewed it. Um, And I think they renewed it um, and then what they said is like look if it's the interest rate or whatever we renew it at we're gonna we're gonna renew it at whatever interest rate it's at at that time and at that time the interest rate went up so it went up to 4.5 percent so then I was paying the same loan um, so it had already uh, had a year off of it um, and and it was another one year renewal uh, 4.5 percent interest so I was paying a little bit more, um, but they, what they wanted to see was they want, they were giving me like basically two years to kind of prove out so that I had two years or I could say, Hey, I've, I've operated this for two years and then let's renegotiate a loan. And so then I, I, um, did it again. So after that second year, um, I went to, to my renewal and I renewed it this time, uh, for five years. So that was just last year. So that was last. So it's, it's like May right now is not this past April, but the year before um, 2019 so at that point I, I redid it for five years and uh, it's the same amortization schedule so it's it's already' already paid you know two years of it so same amortization schedule it's just a renewal of the loan it's, so it's not a actually a refinance or a new loan but it is um, it's a floating or I guess a variable rate and so at the time it was 4.5 percent that I renewed it at kind of stayed at that rate um and this year it actually it resets every year to uh, you know the floating re- rate resets so it reset in april which if you know if you follow the times like that is yeah extremely uh, down 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 so right now it's currently at 2.125 for the next year right so for the foreseeable of next year it's 2.125 as far so as the
1: variable rate money. is every year? It, it's not for the term of the loan?
0: It's every year. Yeah. The oh. way that it's negotiated, it's every year because uh, I removed the prepayment penalty on it so that if I was originally thinking about selling uh, pretty quickly. So I was thinking, well, if I sell, I have a five-year term, I don't want to pay this prepayment penalty. I'd rather um, take the variable and just sell it pretty quickly. So
1: did you negotiate that or did they offer to you those two options?
0: Um, yeah, it was kind of back and forth. They kind of gave me the options. And I, I said, you know, what's more important to me is to remove the prepayment penalty um, because of my plans to, to sell that property. Um, so that's what I was a little more concerned about. And um, and so that's what they gave me.
1: Did you have to, to pay any fees every time that you renewed? Like you had it for a year, for a year, for a year? No.
0: No, I don't. There's no... Uh, there's no um, renewal fee or anything like that so just uh, just the renewal of the loan and um, so all
1: right awesome that is uh you know it was kind of like a test drive for them to see if you could mm-hmm. perform and it, it worked uh, i would be a little bit concerned about that one year balloon uh but i guess sure. it's a really strong deal and and you know it's it's you know you can turn it around there's no reason to to not do it
0: yeah. And truthfully, it's like, if you want the deal, sometimes it's, you know, it's not optimal. You know, it's uh, obviously I don't want a recourse. I don't want a one year term, but I understand that, you know, they're, you know, every, you know, I understand they're, they're not, I'm not a seasoned investor at that point. I have, at that point, I have one or two units and they're all single families. Right. So they're they in and the, this property's in Indianapolis. I'm in Los Angeles, you know, a lot of things like that, but I would say they didn't, like I've gone through other other um, you know other other properties now and other other lenders and everything will kind of like sort of rake you through the coals and everything. This this lender doesn't really. I mean, they don't hold any they don't hold any like capex reserves. They don't have any draws. They don't have anything like that. It's just kind of like no, we have you know pay us a down payment and that's it. The rest of it you do on your own. You know we don't we don't impound your taxes or any any kind of things like that. They're just like no, you pay that on your own just make sure you pay us and show us, your, show us your certificate of insurance every once a year. And it's like, other than that, they don't, they don't say anything. So it's, it's really easy to deal with.
1: So it's worth the flexibility that you get to.
0: Yeah. I, I would, w- certainly, I've told them again that like, the more properties that I get that are in this area, you know, like if I'm looking at something that, that they might want to bid on, then I'm happy to bring them in and take a look at it.
1: Awesome. Yeah. You're building that relationship, you know, like repeat. Mm-hmm. Business. All right. So, what was your plan for your exit strategy?
0: So, you know, this is the kind of uh, the interesting, I don't know, an interesting part of it is that when I went into this, I was thinking, hey, I'm going to hold on to this property for 10 years or something. I, you know, I'm going to get it. It's going to, you know, I don't know. From there, uh, I don't, who knows what happens, but I'm going to hold on to this property for a long time and sell it. You know, like I'm not going to sell it or anything like that. Um, but plans kind of changed, you know, as you're doing things like that, right? As you're doing things and as they're operating. Um, So the plans changed fairly quickly to thinking about selling the property. And um, so I would say that, like I mentioned before, that I thought about selling it. I actually put it on the market to see if I could sell it, Um, but I took it off um, and decided not to sell it. And right now I would tell you that in terms of my exit strategy, my exit strategy right now is potentially to parcel off the individual buildings because it's a 40 unit property right but it's actually um an area of 10 fourplexes. plexes so there's four plexes there's 10 of them all right together right in, in, in this property so my my idea right now is to potentially parcel off these individual units and then sell them off individually and um Depending on like, I'm, I'm moving forward with that process like right now. But so this is kind of something I'm, I'm looking at doing right now. I think that I could sell off these individual units and I could very quickly pay off that loan. So if I can do that, it may be better to me to sell off these individual fourplexes. You know, there's a lot more people that are interested in buying a fourplex for, you know, 160 to 220,000 or something, you know, whatever it is, something like that there's a lot more people that are interested in that capable of buying that than there are people that are, you know, interested in buying a $1 million or something, you know, um, property, things like that. So, um, that's kind of where I am right now. Thinking about parceling it off, selling the individual units, uh, individual, uh, buildings and, um, and, or paying off the loan and then holding, holding them, um, as in free and clear, or maybe just, deciding hey let's just parcel them all off and just sell them all off individually and go through 10 transactions so
1: and the beauty of it is that you are the only one in it so you can decide what you want to do and you don't have to uh, consult with other partners like sometimes on syndications or partnerships you have to you know decide between the partners on this one that is it you have that is
0: a big benefit yes absolutely and and I will tell people and I've told people this um, uh, it's just kind of a my thoughts sort of coming through uh, the experience is that when, if you're in this realm of you are buying a, maybe a, you know, 10 to a 40 unit or things like that. And you eventually, if your goal is eventually to get into larger properties where you're getting into syndications and 200 unit buildings and hundred unit buildings and things like that, and that's your end goal, then think of this step as a stepping stone. Like think of this step as in, let me get this, 25 unit run it have it go well as well as possible for three to five years and then sell this property move on because there is a big difference in the level of professionalism at 25 40 units than there is at 200 units and the the team aspect really takes over at that level and the level of professionalism is a lot higher so you can struggle sometimes at this 25 unit 10 unit things uh level and and it's it's difficult because property management is is a little bit difficult to find because there's a lot of property managers that are good at single units and there's ones that are really good at 200 units and up or 100 units and up but this in between era is is not a lot of people concentrate on that and it's very difficult to to find that property good property manager so if you want to do that which is like what my goal was then use this as a stepping stone. Go ahead and, and just run it as well as possible, but um, get your track record, uh, get your experience, grow your network, grow the people that can see that, uh, that will invest with you, uh, and then move on, right? Don't take it as like, I'm going to do this forever um, and, and, and have this forever. I, I think that's probably the, a better way to go.
1: Absolutely. And I think when you start, you're like, oh, I'm gonna buy a hundred houses and then you have you buy like three or four and then you realize, you know, this is not that easy because of the locations. You know, I'm like, okay, let me buy a six unit instead. Okay, that's what Mm -hmm. I did, a six unit. Mm -hmm. And then once I bought it, I'm like, I should have gone bigger. You know, like Mm -hmm. this all this work with the commercial loan and all these steps that I had to do, it would have been exactly the same to get a 10 unit or a twenty unit. So, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's the, the path that I'm going, you know, and, and like you said, it's like a stepping stone, I, you know, I started with duplexes and then, you know, I, I went to the six and, yeah. you know, I'm going mm-hmm. now we're in, we got an LOI for a 24 unit. So Good. You know, just going, Good. you know, it's, it's, it's a process and it might change. You might start one way and then, you know, you are going to grow into something else.
0: Yeah yeah it's it's great you're on you're on a great path if you know and everybody's path is different right so some people want to stay in and say the 40 60 unit want to stay in that size and that's great it also depends on where you live and where you're buying as well right but um but if your goal is to eventually to go on i would suggest just not think of them as like i'm going to keep this forever but kind of like i'm going to get them running as well as possible grow my track record then sell it, use that money to go buy some bigger properties. And now I have the capability of buying bigger properties with with another team. And so that's Absolutely.
1: what- Absolutely, and, and that's exactly yeah. what I did. Like I took, I had one duplex and I refinanced that one and all the money went to buy the sixplex. So now, mm-hmm. you know, it's been like a year uh, with nice. the six flex. So I'm planning, I, my, when I started, I was like buying hold and ne- never selling. But now I'm thinking, you know, if the price, if I get at this big building, I will be willing to sell the smaller ones because why, mm-hmm. you know, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, if you can
0: yeah, absolutely. You know,
1: convert it into something bigger and that's yeah. your goal.
0: Productivity hack.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So I would love for you to share with me uh, and this is something new that I'm doing. Um, okay. One tip for productivity, because you still have a W2 job and you are mm-hmm. doing all these amazing things. You are buying buildings, you are have a, a meetup, you have a Facebook group. So how, mm-hmm. you know, tell me a tip that you want to share with everybody about productivity. How do you get all this stuff done?
0: Sure. Um, well, the one tip really is wake up early. I mean, like that's a, it's an easy tip, but uh, I'm not a morning person. I never was a morning person. I was a much more of a night owl type of person, but nowadays that's, that's flipped. That's totally flipped. I'm much more of a morning person, but not only just do you wake up early. Cause I used to wake up early and, and when I was first trying to get, be productive and I was waking up early and then I'll, what I was doing, I was getting on my phone and then checking my email and then looking on Facebook and then looking at uh, news that doesn't do anything. I was like in the bed for like 45 minutes, just looking at stuff on my phone and that, is not productive. So there's no reason to get up early if you're going to do that. Um, I uh, read the book called the miracle morning. It's by Hal Elrod and it talks about like having a productive morning. So what did things to do in the morning? And it's kind of a study of like what all these successful people did and and what they do as far as their morning ritual and then just having a combination of all of them. And so I started doing that. I think it was four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago. And that kind of changed my life and that never stopped uh, that. And so I've, I've made sure that I hit every single day. I wake up and and do, that, do my morning ritual and get that done before I'm doing anything else. And if I, there's days where you fly out really early and you can't get up early or I don't want to get up too early to do it, then I'll just do it some other time of the day. But I've never missed a day. And it's been... Yeah, over four years. Apparently. Oh,
1: that's amazing. Uh, that's one of my struggles because I read the book and it's amazing. And I have always been a night owl. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to architecture school, you know, we do the all-nighters and, you know, mm-hmm. we always work at night. So it, it's been a real struggle to to try to do it because I tend to, and also I have small kids still. So once they go to bed, I finally have quiet where I can like concentrate and work. And so you know, I've tried to switch to the mornings and it, you know, like you said, like you get distracted with the phone and that's not productive. Uh, Or what happens to me more often is like I get into something and I am, I'm really productive and I just keep going. And then I end up staying too late Mm -hmm. where the next day I can't wake up early because I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a working process, but I actually, I am working on it because I, I do feel that when I wake up early, I am a lot more my energy is up during the day and mm-hmm. I am, yep. you know, much better than if I stay late and then I'm tired in the morning because I didn't mm-hmm. sleep enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and once you start doing it and, and you get into that routine and, and it's just that you continue to not, you know, just that's, that's who you are now, you know, it just can it snowballs on each other and, and you just, there's many things that you, you'll be able to do uh, if you just like start early in the morning.
1: Absolutely.
0: For tips.
1: All right, so now we are the part of the show where we're, you're going to give me three expert tips. Sure. So, you, um, Powell is going to share three expert tips on raising capital.
0: Mm-hmm. So, raising capital is, is obviously one of the most important things when you're uh, when you're starting to look at uh, buying properties. Eventually, you're going to run out of money yourself. So, um, my first tip on raising money is to take it slow. And what I mean, take it slow is that when you're approaching people, this is a long-term process of, of, of getting a relationship with somebody and, and then, um, you know, before you start to ask them for, or ask them if they're going to invest with you, um, things like that. So, you know, it's not something that happens very quickly. You know, it's not something you show somebody, uh, um, one of your, uh, you know, deal summaries and say, Hey, are you going to invest? And, you know, do you, do you have some money to invest? this is a slow process. So you have to, you know, there's multiple touch points that you want to go through, but there's, uh, you want to take this very patiently. Right. So that's my first tip. Um, my second tip is um, when it comes down to asking people how much they're going to invest. Right. That's a, that's a touchy subject, right? Because now you're talking to somebody, yes, they're interested. They want to see your track record. You, you know, they, they start asking you things, but now you're kind of like, okay, so this person's interested, but, how much are they going to invest right i mean i'm asking to i'm trying to raise um 300,000 and are are they talking about 15,000 or are they talking about 300,000 i i don't know and i don't want to say cuz you have this like, uncomfortable feeling of like i don't know and, and you don't want to throw out your minimum like you know um well you only have you only have you can only uh or, you know if, if you just invest 20,000 you know that that's that's fine you know you don't want to throw out something like that because uh some people you know First of all, you might be shooting yourself short, and then second of all, you're, um, you know, you don't. I could kind of, sort of, uh, turn people off a little bit. Um, the question I always ask is, uh, how much are you comfortable investing, right? That sets a little tone of like, hey, look, I'm not asking you to invest. You don't have to invest with me. You don't have to. I just want to know how much you're comfortable investing. And I've never had any pushback with that. It's always been a great question to ask. And then people will just say, you know, I'm comfortable. With, I don't know, fifty, hundred thousand. But if you get an answer like, oh, I'm comfortable with like uh, 5000 well, that might not be enough to help you really um, invest in a, in a multifamily so property. Like
1: that, is, that is a great, you know, like it's not super straight, but it's like, how much do you do you feel yeah. comfortable investing? So what do you, how do you react when you get somebody that says, um, I am, I just have, I feel comfortable with 10000
0: Yeah, I mean, I would. You know, if it was me, I would tell them, like, look, at, at this point, the, the minimums that we're bringing in is closer to 50,000. And so, you know, you could just ask them, hey, do you know anybody else that may be interested? Right. Because a lot of other people may be interested. In, and, you know, maybe people can pull money together or things like that. But in that case, it's that person is not a great target for you. I would probably kind of shut that down a little bit and say that's probably not a person that really wants that. I should be talking to if they can only invest ten thousand dollars. Um in terms of the properties that I'm looking at now, it's, it's um, I don't really want to take their money. That's, it's not who would I, I want to go after.
1: Right, it's not your target um, person.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, um, tip number three. Th- yeah, the thir- tip number three is, honestly, is you got to start now. I mean, you got to start right away, like talking to people about what you're doing. Uh, a lot of people are scared, right? Really, when you're starting out and it's like, you know, you you don't want to tell your friends and family what you're doing. It, you're scared that they're gonna you know think judge you and tell you like what you're doing is terrible and wrong and is a scam or whatever and things like that Uh, And the the truth is you so you get a little scared you psych yourself out um but you need to start now and you need to start telling people what you're doing what you're excited about and you know get their reaction if if they're not into it then that's fine just you don't have to bombard them with with hit them over the head with what you're doing you just need to mention it all the time so when people Say hey, I haven't seen you in a long time. What you been up to? You know, you don't want to just say, oh well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm watching Netflix and 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 you know doing things and stuff like that. It's like oh, okay, that doesn't really help you. You want to talk to them about real estate. Oh well, you know, I'm I'm involved in real estate and you know recently I evaluated a couple of deals and I'm looking to purchase a you know a, my first eight unit complex over in Tallahassee, Florida, and you know I'm just really excited about it. And then just kind of cut it off there and just see what their reaction is. If their reaction is, you know, engaging and they want to ask you more, great, then talk more. If their reaction is, well, I want to talk about what the football game is and, you know, and, you know, when we, you know, what, what the baseball score is, then they're probably not that interested. You don't really need to bombard them. And so that, that would be my third tip is you got to start now. you got to start talking to people. you got to let people know what you do. Um, and um, and continue the conversations all the time. So if you're in this game and you're raising capital, you're always raising capital.
1: Absolutely, this has been amazing, Paul. Thank you so much for giving us the time and to give my audience amazing tips. Um, how can they find you uh, if they want to get in touch with you?
0: Sure. Uh, the best way. So I run a I run a, a my company is called Multifamily Masters. So you go to multifamilymasters.com that's our website my email is powell at multifamilymasters.com so it's just my first name and uh, probably honestly the quicker way is if you go on uh, Facebook and just friend me and then uh, just send me a message there I'm a little faster responding on Facebook and chat messages than I am with emails just because I get bombarded with emails but um, happy to do it either way uh, happy to connect with your audience and uh, discuss anything and help them out as much as I can
1: awesome and if you are uh listening to this podcast and you are getting value from it and you're learning something new please subscribe to the channel you can subscribe on youtube uh, or you can do it on itunes or, or apple podcast spotify and stitcher uh and give us a review if you are enjoying this show uh thank you for so much for being here and uh bye everybody
0: This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.talleyinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.